You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. All right, how many of you can say this word on the screen? Okay, I'm going to say it, then you're going to repeat after me. I'm going to say hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Well, that's pretty good. Hermeneutics. I'm so very impressed, okay? So when you think about this, uh, how many of you grew up in school and they would teach you uh, the different like Roman and Greek gods and this kind of stuff? You remember all the different Zeus and these kind of folks? Is there a word up there that kind of sounds similar to anybody of those? Hermes. Hermes, right? Okay, what was Hermes? Does anybody remember? The messenger God, right? Okay, so obviously hermeneutics is not a study of Hermes, okay? But the word connection here where that basic is is that Hermes was a messenger god. He was basically the postman, okay, for, for all, all, all the pantheon of gods and that, that culture, right? So the idea is this, that you're taking the message from one and you're getting it to the other, okay? So what hermeneutics is all about is it is about taking the message of this scripture and getting it down to us, delivering it to us and making sure we got the right address, the right way to understand things and to make sure that we can understand and apply truth into our own lives. Does that make sense so far? Are we tracking? So what I want to do tonight is I'm going to give you kind of like a guide of where this thing's going and the big picture of it. Uh, and so what I want to do is, is, if you think about this, we all say that we should know the Bible better than we do. Is that fair enough? I mean, is anybody here like, no, nah, I got it figured out pretty good. You know, I've, I've got it all together. But don't you think it's time that we did something about it? So it was about four years ago that we were in this room and doing a course kind of like this that I remember on one night I said something like to the effect of, hey, you guys know in, in the New Testament, such and such, blah, 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 and there was somebody in the back who raised their hand and says, you said New Testament, does that mean there's an Old Testament? And I said, my bad. Let me start back, okay? Now, some of you, that may be news to you, right? There's some people that were here that night. They're like, I didn't know there were two Testaments. Didn't know that was in the Bible. And so wherever you are on this whole scale of knowing Scripture, I want to let you know that within a few months, the guy that was there felt like he could understand that he wasn't afraid of this book anymore, right? He said, I, I can open this book. I can read to it. In fact, started going through a ministry training program after we did this. So I'm saying, regardless if you just found some new information like, oh, there's two testaments in the Bible, that, that's good to know. Or if you're like, man, I, I, I really understand the scriptures pretty well. I'm going to say that every single one of us can know it just a little bit better. So I want us to think about, first off, what, what equipping of the church, what that looks like, why we call this equipped, just to make sure you understand what we do. I want you to turn in your scripture to Ephesians chapter 4 for a brief moment. And uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that will explain why do we gather on Sunday night. Uh, we just finished the 5 o'clock service. I got a drink of water and I ran down here. Right? Okay, like why would we do this? What is the point of what we're doing? And deep down, embedded in this passage, is the reason why we do what we do uh, as we gather here together. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus to make sure that they understand truth, that they're walking and living according to God's standard. And in this unity in the body of Christ that he's after, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, this is what he says, that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, okay? Now, those are different names and somewhat different functions. Uh, apostles are those that are sent out. Prophets are those that are discerning and teaching the word of God. Evangelists are those that are really uh, good at sharing the gospel with other people. Shepherds watching over people's souls. Teachers teaching people God's word. He says he gave all of those people, and you go, man, that sounds pretty awesome. Five designations and some pretty incredible spiritual rollers there, right? These, are, these guys must be really the cream of the crop. If you had five categories like this in your church, you should be good to go, right? And that's not what this is saying here. It says, again, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of what? Ministry. For building up the body of Christ. This is interesting. Five categories of spiritual leaders. Five different functions. And he says he gave the church, and this is what he does not say. He does not say he gave all those people there to do the ministry. This is he gave them to equip the work of the ministry, right? So if we're going in this, if we rely on a few ministry professionals, we will never witness what a church can really do in this world, right? If we only rely on a few ministry professionals, we will never witness what a church can really do in this world. When I was in college and part of a missionary training program, I can remember being discipled by someone who just knew the word uh, better than anyone I'd ever been around in my life. And all of a sudden one day when I was in Japan and serving at a church and then a couple of Mormon missionaries came knocking on our door, we all got scared because we all said, oh, Mormon missionaries really know their stuff. And we didn't know if we were ready to have a conversation. We didn't know if we were ready to defend our faith. And so you know what we all said? You know what would be great? I wish Adrian were here. Because if Adrian was here, he'd know what to say, right? And then someone said, yeah, but doesn't Adrian have the same spirit of God? Doesn't he have the same word of God? Like, what does he have that we don't? And I would say, well, he has just applied himself a lot better than we have up to this point, right? But if what happens if we just rely on a few people who really know the word, really trained, really gifted? It's very limiting what can take place, right? Um, if I think through, uh, I really, with some of the guys that are going through ministry, I think that probably this week I'm going to give them, I'm going to have to take out names and certain things, but I want to give them my Sunday through Saturday schedule of what this last week looked like in the life of ministry because it was bonkers, okay? Just random, just unbelievable, the stuff you're bouncing to and from and situations you're getting yourself into. And so, like, I, I know that there's a lot of challenges that go along with this, but folks... If we rely as a church just on a few ministry professionals, guess what? We're very limited in what we can do. It says here he gave all these people to teach and to lead, and to, but not for the sake of doing the work of the ministry, but to do what? To equip. To equip other believers to actually do the work of the ministry for building up the what? The body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of in the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, there it is again, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here, here's the point I think this passage is trying to teach us. That Christ does not desire for Christians to remain on the sidelines, folks. You don't have to have a degree from seminary. You don't have to have some type of calling or job at a local church for God to use you. He does not desire for any believer to be somewhat on the sidelines. It says that as we come in, we have this opportunity to, guess what? God equips us to do the work of the ministry. And every single one of us doing things together make things better. He doesn't want to remain anyone on the sidelines. Some of you right now are smelling the food that is behind me right now, and you talk about being distracted, right? Okay, like it's just hard to focus in on this meal when you know that one's coming, right? And how many of you would say, if you were responsible for cooking for a lot of people, how many of you would trust your chef abilities? Anybody? Okay, like I would not want the opportunity because I, I want, I want y'all around a long time. So if I cook for everybody, we're all going to be sick this week, most likely, okay? Not going to be a good thing. But you take somebody who's equipped and gifted and passionate about that and you turn them loose, it, you, you see how God uses different things for the working of the body. 
and, and of Christ and why it's so very important for us all to know our role, to know how God's gifted us, but also to equip, to be equipped into the things that God has called us to. If we feel underdeveloped and underutilized, then we need to be equipped. So if you feel right now, like what the scripture passage was saying, we attain to a knowledge and to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you. I don't feel like I am up to the fullness of Christ just yet, okay? I, I'm not there. Uh, don't, it says don't be like children anymore, tossed to and fro by the waves, going back and forth, carried or bowed by every wind of doctrine. So saying, if you ever felt like there are certain people who are saying certain things about Scripture, you're like, I don't know what to do about that because I, I, I don't know. Is that true? Is it not? Folks, I, I want you to know everything that's sold with a, st- a book that's sold from a Christian standpoint is not necessarily biblical. There are some times that I've opened up a Christian bestseller that I think is hot garbage and I've thrown across the room. It's dangerous stuff. And sometimes it's very popular stuff. And they go, that's not biblical. It sounds spiritual. It's not biblical. You can be tossed and thrown back and forth, all kinds of doctrines. And so just because someone says and says, I want to say something on behalf of the Lord, that doesn't mean it's correct. So what this passage is saying, if you ever feel underdeveloped, you go, I don't want to be tossed to and fro from every doctrine, every type of belief, every person that's going through that. Or you might feel, I feel underutilized. Like, I just feel like I am sitting on the sidelines. What am I actually doing? I don't know if I'm helping, contributing to anybody. And you feel like, you know what, I get these opportunities, but can I speak the truth in love? Can I point people to Christ? Can I help equip other people? You may feel underutilized. I want to let everybody here know tonight, there's nothing wrong with you, okay? It's just that you haven't had the opportunity to actually get to work on it. Or maybe you've had the opportunity, you just haven't done it. But now is the time to say, okay, what am I actually going to do about it? So let me give you a, a playbook from where Pastor Travis is in, in life right now in, in an illustration kind of way. Um, so about 11 years ago, I had some friends who had encouraged me to do a triathlon. Okay? Does anybody know what that is? It's basically you're asking yourself to die. Okay, basically. So the triathlon is uh, at least you start off at the, 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 um, the standard entry triathlon is you swim for 400 yards, so four football fields swimming. You're like, I can swim. You do 400 yards, and you realize you're actually not a swimmer, okay? Because I, I was like, oh, I can do this. So you get out of the pool, and then you go bike for 15 miles, and then you get off the bike, and you run for a 5K, a 3.1 mile, okay? So I, I started training to do that. I was like, I'm going to do this. It's really good. You know, sounds. I thought I was going to die most of the process 11 years ago. Uh, some things happened. Eventually, it led to all these kind of health issues. I broke my ankle, and I got out. And then just at the beginning of this year, uh, you know, looking at my year, looking at things, goals and objectives I wanted to have in life. And I thought, you know what would be great? I need to do that triathlon that I talked about doing 11 years ago, right? I mean, I'm about to turn 40. What could go wrong, right? Okay? My, my left Achilles is just really at this point where it's about to snap. Like, what can go wrong? So I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a triathlon. She's like, why would you do that? It's like, I just feel like it's a goal. It's a health goal I could, I could shoot for. And my thought is, I'll, the goal would be to finish that triathlon, right? And at the last thing, my Achilles just snap. I fall across the finish line, and then you take me to the hospital, and I get the surgery, and I'd be done with it, okay? Like, it'd just be a goal of mine. Like, that's what, that's what I could work for. And she's like, you really have problems, and you need serious you know, help. Okay, so anyway, um, I, I, I talked about it, like, in January, and then I put it off, and then I put it off, and then I put it off. And then I don't know what it was, but July 28th, I turned 40, and I was like, you know, I said I was going to do a triathlon by the time I turned 40, and I just turned 40. And I was like, I wonder where there is one. Well, most of them happen on Sundays, folks. I got a job that tells me I don't need to do triathlons on a Sunday. So I found one on a Saturday that wasn't too far from here. 
and it's also not in a lake, so I wouldn't drown. It was in a pool, so if I get tired, I could touch the bottom for a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's good. And so I look, and I see it's on September 4th, and I'm like, oh, that's four weeks away. I can do that, right? Okay? So I find a training program that says this is a six-month training program to get on. So I just skipped the first five months, and I've entered in into the sixth month. They just say, let me see if I can do this. They say, how are you doing? I am sore in places I didn't know exist right now, okay? Like, I literally, I started working yesterday. I tried to do all three of them back to back, um, to back, and, and, and going through this. And you might say, why would you do this? Because there's this goal. But as this process is doing, you know what the more I'm finding out? I'm not as in shape as what I thought I was, <laughs> And you know what would be, some of y'all said amen to that. Listen, y'all need to back up, okay? You really, I, I, I'm feeling you, I'm feeling you, okay? Uh, but, but there is some kind of sense of when you start pushing yourself, the muscles get sore, don't they? And you're like, you know what? Um, probably one month is not the best time to try to do this. Might be better, I don't know, the last 10 years to stay on this and maybe even a good spot to it. But there are these certain places in life that no, I've got to make a change, Right? And what I'm saying is right now is that one of the one of the most dangerous things because today, you know, I'm sitting there and, and Ryan Dirk, he's president of Miracle Hill, he does these things in his sleep, okay? And he does he doesn't do the baby ones. He does like the takes half a day things and you're gonna I mean literally and so like I just told him, Hey, guess what I did yesterday? I did a practice triathlon and I almost finished in the amount of time that I needed to do it in and didn't die and he's like, Yeah, well I swam whatever he said, like seventy six miles or whatever he said yesterday. I'm like, why are you always just bringing up all this stuff? Like why can't you just encourage me, celebrate this, right? But but here's the thing, if I try to put myself according to Ryan's standard right now, I'm gonna be in trouble, folks, right? I'm I'm not gonna be able to make it. But I can't say, all right, where I am right now, what can I do in the next little bit to start putting some work into it? Yeah, my muscles might get sore. It might take a little bit of time. But if it's worth it, folks, guess what? You'll do it. You'll do it. Every single one of us will do it. And so that's why this issue, when you're talking about coming along with the whole body, joined together, and you're growing, you're being equipped, we've got to look to see how are we growing in this. Let me fix this real quick. As we think through how we come alongside this process, let's, let's go here. Wait a minute. Technology. All right. Um, let me talk multiplication of ministry and what this means for our church because this may help you understand like what this next, what we're going to be doing the next few weeks. Um, you're, you're at a thing that we call equip right now. Okay, it's weekly te- teaching to equip our church for the work of the ministries based off of this passage of scripture that we meet here after the last service of the day. We come in here and try to help you go further. Okay. So you know the word a little bit, that's great. Would you like to know it more? Let's get into it. So it's not, hey, let's do this and do this and do this. We're going to open up the word. We're going to dive in. And I, my job as a shepherd is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So you're not afraid to open up this book and teach somebody. That's, that's why we're here today, right? The teaching is posted online. It's on a podcast weekly for those who can't come. But I think everybody here knows if you make a priority, say, no, I'm going to be here on Sunday nights. It helps me kind of get into that rhythm to make sure I'm learning and from other people. Uh, that's one thing. This course, uh, also, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to be talking about in just a minute, can be used as a free audit or accredited course. What we're doing here tonight, as I'll get into it in a little bit, that some of you are here like, hey, I just love learning this, but there are some people who are actually going to go a little bit deeper into this, and I want to make sure everybody knows where this is heading. Another process that we have at the church is something called Entrust. That's based after 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, which Paul says to Timothy, what you've heard in my presence I want you to entrust other men who will go and teach others also. 
Okay? So the process we have here is it's a process for internships and residencies for those seeking ministry development. We have uh, young men and young, young women who are wanting to go into the ministry, but they want, to be, they want to learn, they want to be trained, and they want to be sent out one day, and they don't want it to be cast out on their own. And so our job is we take some young men and women and we say, okay, how can we help entrust the gospel ministry to you so that when we send you out, you are prepared to go? Uh, it's flexible opportunities for differing ministry paths. We've got people who are wanting to go into counseling, people who want to go into church planning, people who want to go on missions, and we're just trying to help prepare them for that. That's what that word entrust comes in. Now, you heard this phrase maybe earlier today, and I had this question asked at a new members meeting uh, just a little while ago, but the recommission network. Uh, when you think about recommissioning something, it's this. You are either uh, changing it or you are getting back to what it was originally intended for, Right. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but when Jesus gave the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, have you ever known a church to get off of the Great Commission and get into something else? A lot of times we get off track and we get into our own agendas. And so what we're using this frame is we want our church and the churches that we're helping to be recommissioned back to Jesus' Great Commission. Okay, Let's get this thing back to what it is. It's not meant to be inward focused. It's meant to go and take the gospel out. So we have churches that are recommissioning together for the Great Commission. Uh, we seek to enlist, equip, and trust, and engage people in a meaningful ministry service. So we have different churches that we're partnering with right now that have been struggling for years that COVID almost closed the doors on, right? You mentioned, you've heard Cedar Grove. You've heard Woodside. Some of you know that we were in the process of trying to plant a church at Perry Correctional last year before COVID shut us down. But as soon as we get the green light, we're going back in. We want to plant healthy churches in these communities and come alongside together with this. And this is where a lot of this even falls into, practically speaking, of what is the Entrust Institute, that Rocky Creek is starting a school that's partnering with North Greenville University. And we mentioned this um, a, a, a couple weeks ago, and I want to make sure that everybody kind of knows what this is and what it's not. North Greenville University, about uh, 40 minutes up the road, 35, 40, depends on what day it is, uh, is a university that is really trying to equip uh, people at college and master's and even some doctoral level uh, folks in a lot of different facets. But there is this ministry school, and one of their hearts is, is that they believe that people preparing for the ministry has been taken away from the local church and been put in the academic institutions. And so I went to seminary with a lot of guys who were getting a degree. They were not working at a church. And you get it in theory, but you're not getting it in practice, and there's a big difference there. And so what we're doing, originally the thought was, hey, we'll just offer classes here. But the more we went into it, it's like, no, 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 we're actually going to start something here that's going to be connected with North Greenwood University that actually someone could get a master's level or a seminary credit for being a part of what you folks might be a part of the next few weeks, okay, here, right? So you're like, I'm getting a free degree? Not exactly. I'll get to that in a second, okay? Um, but so with this, the program is designed to earn what's a Master of Arts in Christian Ministry, which is a 35-hour degree, or a Master's of Divinity, which is a 75-hour degree, okay? So one is maybe, you know, a couple years or something. One could be three to four years, a lot more difference. But some folks who said, I have a college degree, but I would like to get further equipped to go into the ministry, what we're going to be able to start is actually a legitimate degree that's partnering with North Greenville to get these degrees that someone could actually walk away with a Master's of Arts in Christian Ministry or a Master's of Divinity degree that they could go and serve in some type of capacity. This institute will create a streamlined approach to best utilize all of these components. When I'm talking about people that we're wanting to, to grow up and people we want to send out and replant and restart, all of these things are starting to work together. And because we're doing it in the local church, this degree program will be 28% cheaper but fully integrated. So what that means is this. 
There's no overhead cost for us. We are not looking to make any type of money on this, but there are certain things. So how this works is North Greenville University was gonna handle the bulk load of the accreditation side. If we take on the 100% of the degree, guess what happens? There's this government agency that'll start telling us where we have to put sprinklers in our church building, and we don't wanna get into that, okay? So what's gonna happen is, is that we start working this program so North Greenville has a master's program that they're actually going to send some students to be a part of our equip Sunday night deal where they're going to be getting a class here but working towards their degree. But somebody in theory could be saying, I want to get a seminary degree, but I don't want to leave Rocky Creek. I want to serve and be mentored and discipled here and then launch out that when I was going to seminary, guess what? My job was over here, my seminary was over here, and my practical ministry experience was in a different place. This could possibly be all three things in one thing. Incredible opportunity for us to think through, and also it's just an incredible different way. Now, where that falls into, we'll have an official launch in 2022, but a soft course launch is kind of happening here as we're going to start this. But basically, it's going to be like an eight-week intensive of, of people that want to actually get a degree will be getting... Um, uh, you'll actually have required readings and papers to do, and some of you are like, I'm out already, okay? And that, that's fine, but this is where the two options come for you because when we started this program, a few, uh, at least in theory, we were doing this with some other folks. There were some people in our church who were getting seminary degrees, and they would come on Sunday nights, and I would be teaching something for everybody to benefit from, but some people were doing all the reading and on the writing on the side, but this was kind of the classroom experience. So what I'm saying is, you come on Sunday nights, whether you get a degree or not, you're going to be getting what we would say is a seminary level kind of saying, let's equip you to do the work of the ministry. Okay? So you feel ill-equipped to handle the word of God? Stick with us the next few months, and I guarantee this, you're going to get some tools in your tool belt so you can walk away and not be fearful of that book anymore. Okay? But so some people may say, I, I want to get actually in this, but there's going to be an official launch of this in, in, in a few months here. We'll explain a little bit more. But if you're interested in something like that, you just need to talk with me. Say, I, I'm actually interested in the, the degree side of things. We can talk with you. Now, let me ask you a question really quick. If you don't want a degree and you don't want to spend money and you don't want to write papers, does that mean you can't come on Sunday night? No, we want you here, right? We're going to do a class like I would always teach, and you don't have to have any of that stuff. It's going to be understandable, and you don't have to do any of those things. But just realize there might be some people sitting next to you that are also reading books and writing papers and actually getting a degree to go into ministry, which is an awesome opportunity for us as a church. Now, how that lands us, let me tell you what the next few weeks are going to look like. Now, all that making sense so far? Y'all tracking with me? I know I'm going fast, but we'll make sure we move into this. Incredible, incredible opportunity for us as a church. But I want to talk really quick about the study of hermeneutics to try to entice you to stay with me the next few months, okay? I know that right now you may say, I, I don't know exactly what this is. I want, to, I want to tell you what this is and what it's not to help us get an understanding of why you possibly need these next few months of us diving in. Uh, hermeneutics, the, the, what it is, is the process of correctly interpreting the Word of God. When I say correctly interpreting, that implies that there is an incorrect way to interpret the Word of God. Is that fair? There's a lot of people who actually make a livelihood off of that, okay? They, they incorrectly interpret the Word of God, and they fleece the flock, and they are making a, a large uh, profit on really, uh, I would say, mishandling and abusing the Word of God. So hermeneutics is taking that message that God has sent in the letter of His Word and making sure it's delivered to us in the correct way. So hermeneutics is this, is to teach us how to interpret the Word of God correctly. Now, to understand what that means, let me tell you some dangerous trends in Bible reading. The first dangerous trend that I often see in Bible reading is this. It's the fortune cookie approach, right? You know what it's like you get a fortune cookie? Or you go to the Chinese restaurant, and here's four people at the, the table, and they just drop four fortune cookies, and you're like, 
whoa, 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 which one's closest to me? Because you don't want to mess this thing up, right? Because if, if the waitress kind of you know, gave you the wrong one, your entire life could be completely messed up, right? Okay? Um, and you open up the fortune cookie, and what is it? Uh, it? It's a simple statement. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense, right? But it's like, happy is he who wakes up in the morning. It's like, amen? Okay, that's great. Whatever. Like, and, and you just don't know exactly what to do with it, right? But you know that it... it and then the, your, your neighbor was like, oh, you're going to get really rich this week. You're like, could you not give me that cookie, right? Okay, like, how did I get the bum one, right? Uh, the Bible isn't a collection of random sayings thrown randomly to individual consumers, Right? The Bible's not just like, here's a verse for you, and here's a verse for you, and depends on what you get. The Bible's not written that way, but yet we treat it that way, right? We, we, we treat it that way. We think that it's just kind of whatever, that you just kind of can go around and hear whatever you want to hear. This is the uh, predominant way a lot of people taught me to read the Bible. You want God to speak to you? This is his word. So open it up. Close your eyes. Open it up, and you're going to point to a verse of Scripture, and whatever this says is God's word to you. Then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house and the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. See, anybody know what to do with that? Because I surely do not, okay? <laughs> now, we laugh at that, but tell me one other book in the world that you read like that. Nobody does. But in Scripture, we just think fortune cookies, break it open, and something magical is going to be said to you. That's not how this book is written. You don't need to read it that way. You don't need to interpret it that way. The Bible's also not like a yearbook, Okay? Remember what it was like when you got the yearbook in high school? You don't just start thrumming through the pages. You go to the back, right? Because there's something in the index that you're looking for. It is yourself, right? Okay? You go and say, where is Agnew Travis and what pages am I on? And then you only go to the pages that have to do with you, right? You don't care about if, if you weren't in the band, you don't care about the band. If you're not on the soccer team, you don't care about the soccer team. You only are cared about the pages where you were on. Well, the Bible... We, a lot of times, people would treat that, but they would go to the back of the Bible, look for something that applies to them, and they'll just random cherry pick out of verses of Scripture. You need to realize this. You're reading the Bible incorrectly if you read it based on that, looking for yourself in it. The Bible isn't about you. You're not the main character of it, folks. Guess who the main character is? Yes, Jesus. He's, he's the main character of it. Now, the Bible speaks to you, but you're not the main character of it. So the Bible isn't about you. So stop turning to the back to search for only the pages that address you. That's not the point of the Bible. And if you read it that way, you're missing out. And honestly, you're going to endanger yourself because what you might be thinking that you're hearing is not exactly correct. Uh, and you could be looking at it in a very dangerous way as well. The Bible is not also abstract art, okay? The Bible isn't a piece of abstract art just awaiting your personal interpretation. Have y'all ever been to like one of those museums and you look at what's on the wall and you're like, what is that, right? It's just like, it looks like somebody threw paint on the wall and like, did a preschooler do that? Because it just doesn't look like art. It looks like somebody literally just threw a bunch of colors together. And, and then there are these like oh, artsy-fartsy people who walk by and like, oh, that's deep right there. Wow. And you're like, are we looking at the same thing? <laughs> like, am I missing something? They're like, man, I just see how the colors and the movement and what's going on. And he's just speaking to me. And I'm like, what's it saying? Like, can you tell me? Because I'm unclear. I have no idea like what that is. And like, I think what this is saying is that, you know, we're all part of one family in the world and we need to help each other. And I'm like... It looks like someone spilled paint on the canvas. That's, that's all it looks like to me. I don't get it right. And it's open to interpretation, right? What you see and what I see, it could be different. But hey, it's all good. Folks, let me tell you the most dangerous question that has infiltrated the church over the last 50 years. Someone reads the Bible and says this question. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Well, well I guess it means that 
God told me I can do this. Oh, yeah, well, that's good. What about you? Uh, well, actually, God was telling me that I should start a new business. Oh, really? What was he saying to you? God just told me that I should stop my new business. Oh, really? That's incredible. What? And just going around the room. I've had people tell me before, Pastor Travis, God told me to get a divorce. I said, no, 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 no. No, he did not. Yes, he did. And, like, and they, they knew me. They're like, I know what you're going to say, that i got to have a verse. I got, I got a verse. I said, you have a verse that says you can get a divorce? I sure do. I, I knew you were going to come at me, so I, I'm ready. I said, well, what's the verse? I, they open up to Acts. I'm in my mind going, where in the world in Acts are they even going to go to? It says, and Paul and Barnabas got into such a sharp disagreement that they departed ways from each other. I said, this is your, your this is your, you know, your, your proof that you can get a Bible? Yeah. Here are these two people who... I said, there were two dudes on a mission trip together that got in a fight, okay? This is not two people in a covenant of marriage. No, you cannot do this, right? It's abstract art. What does it mean to you? Folks, it's dangerous to operate that way. It's dangerous to think that way. We cannot just live our entire life. What's the Bible mean to you? What's it mean to you? What's God saying to you right now? Folks, we got to apply it. But first and foremost, we got to understand something more important than what does it mean to you. Guess what? It doesn't matter what the Bible means to you. It matters what it means to God. He's the one who wrote it. It's his message. It is a message to you. But folks, if you don't get it right, we could be in danger of doing something that I would even say is very demonic, and that is trying to make Scripture say what we want it to say. It's not about what you think it means. The more important question, and this is the whole process of hermeneutics, right? Here's the important question. It's not, what does it mean to you? It's us discovering, what does it mean to God? Let us figure out what is God trying to teach us, and then we orient our entire life to it, okay? So, so, to, so to prove this to you, I'm going to give you an example of that first time when I was in uh, college and I was in a hermeneutics class. The professor gave me this, and I thought this is the most brilliant way to interpret it. But um, how many of you remember uh, what what year you were in school when you started passing notes? Anybody remember when you used to pass notes in school, right? You know, back in the day, it was like, you, you like me, check yes, no, or maybe. I'm like, don't give the maybe option. Don't do that, okay? Like, like, like you, maybe like passing certain notes kind of stuff. You see this girl, you see this boy you like, and you're trying to pass the notes or whatever. I, I guess you don't have to do that anymore. You text message, but that just took out all the fun, okay? Right? Because you had to be so sly, like she's turned her back. Quick, 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 right? So let's just imagine, for example... That we are in seventh grade, for example, okay? We're in seventh grade, so we're like, please don't make me go back to your pastor. Okay, just for a brief moment, we'll go there. So, so we're, we're in seventh grade. Uh, we're, we're in the passing note phase. I'm in the class. You're in the class. And at some point, I am just so overwhelmed by this beautiful girl in class. Her name is Amanda, okay? Now, spoiler alert, that's my wife, but you should see what's going on, okay? And I just see her, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just... I want to get to know her. I want to see if she likes me. And I want to pass a note to her because that's what we got to do, right? We're so great. So I start passing the note, okay? I've scribbled something down, and, and, I, and I send it. And I'm like, hey, will you pass this? And y'all start passing it that way. Can you, can you pass it over there real quick? Keep passing it. And let's just imagine Glenn passes it over there to Chad. And, and then Chad, stop, stop right there, Chad. And I go, I point to you. And Chad thinks that I'm pointing to open it up. I'm like, no, keep passing it to Amanda. And he's like, me? I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, keep passing it, right? And he's like, oh, you want me to open? I'm like, mm, mm. So he opens up the note, right? That's meant for Amanda. Chad, will you open up the note and will you read it loud for everybody here? Meet me in the parking lot after class, Travis. All right. Meet me in the parking lot after class, Travis. Okay? All right. Now, some of you know where this is going because you probably went to a school like me. If Chad opens that note for me that says, meet me in the parking lot after class, what does he think we want to do? 
See, some of y'all came from my school, didn't you? Okay, yeah. There's a fight that is brewing. We are going to go down. I'm tired of the way he's looking at me. I was, we're going to make this real simple, right? He reads the note. Now, if it made it all the way to Amanda, same note, same sender, different recipient, does the message change? 100%. Just for that simple thing. She reads, meet me in the parking lot after class. And she's like, oh, he wants to talk about our future together, right? Now, folks... No words different. You, you see this? I mean, I have, there's like six or seven words or something like that. That's all it is. Same, same sender, same message, different recipient. The entire message changes. And folks, we open up this Bible that sometimes is addressed to the church in Philippi, and you and I did not grow up in Philippi, and we assume we can just take whatever promises we want and we discard the ones we don't like. Folks, this is serious. You have to get back to what does the Bible mean before what does it mean to you? We've got to know what it means to God. And this is the process of hermeneutics. And this is why I am praying that some of y'all would say, yeah, I, I need to be in this. I need to know God's word because God is sending you a note. He's got a message. But we've at least got to understand before the Bible ever got to our hands, guess what? It was actually delivered to somebody else's. And we've got to know that. We've got to understand it. it's going to open up. It's not going to constrict you. It's honestly going to free you in some incredible, incredible ways. And this is a promise of hermeneutics that's so important for us to understand. A text cannot mean what it never meant. Okay? A Bible verse cannot mean now what it never meant. A scripture passage, a, 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 we, we cannot say, all right, well, I know and Paul said that to that church, or when Mark wrote this to these people writing the gospel, I know it meant that, but now it means this to me. Folks, you cannot make it mean to you now what it never meant. The process of hermeneutics is a simple way of going, what was the author's original intention when they put it together? So when God is working through people to write the scripture down, what was the original intention of what he put in their hands? And that's what we want to know. Because if we know what God is trying to teach, then it opens up every single thing for us. If you study the Bible out of context, you study it just like the devil. Okay, That's not enough uh, encouragement for you. But what is in Luke chapter 4... Jesus is tempted by Satan, right? The fast in 40 days, 40 nights. What takes place in that moment? Uh, he says, hey, if you're so hungry, why don't you just turn these stones to come bread? And Jesus says, it is, am I know, written. He quotes Deuteronomy. That, hey, by the way, that means you mean serious business when you start quoting Deuteronomy, okay? If somebody's quoting Deuteronomy, you're like, okay, this, this brother's serious, okay? So he quotes Deuteronomy. Man should not live by bread alone, but only every word that comes from the word of God. Okay. Satan comes again. Another temptation. Jesus says, it is written. All right, third temptation. Satan throws it at him and says, hey, and let me tell you why I can do this. It is written. Wait, whoa, whoa. Satan says it is written? I thought that was Jesus' line. Satan goes, no, no, no. I quote something. And guess what? He quoted from Psalm chapter 91. It says, hey, if you jump off this, this, uh, this, this temple here and everybody sees you fall, you'd be good. Why? Because it says in the word that his angels will guard and protect you. Do it, Jesus. I got a verse. And if you're not aware of this, the same temp what, what Satan did in that moment was he took one verse out of context, he twisted it for his own agenda. And folks, if we do that, we're doing the same work he's done from the beginning of time. You've got to know not what you think it means, what God intends it to mean. As only then can we be used by God as we share the word with others. But if you just say, oh, I like that verse, I'm going to take it out, right? I'm going to take it, use it in my own agenda. You are literally following in the devil's footsteps. This is why this process is so incredibly important for us. This course will help you develop and sharpen skills so you can unashamedly handle 
the word accurately. You can follow along with me, but I'm just going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, because I think it is so incredibly important to what we're going to be about the next few months. When it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Let me make sure you understand what he did not say. He did not say, do your pastor's best to study the Bible. He says, do your best. He doesn't say, go try to run a triathlon like Ryan Dirk can right now. No, 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 no. You're going to break something and end up in the hospital, okay? Right where you are, you do your best. Do, do my best to do what? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Folks, that's gold. He's saying it this way. With your mental faculties, with the experience that you have, with where you are in the spiritual growth spectrum, don't expect to do someone else's best, your mama's best, your pastor's best, your best friend's best. You do your best that you can accurately holding, handling, correctly interpreting the word of truth so that you're unashamed when you open this thing up. And folks, I've spent so much of my Christian life ashamed because I was afraid of this book. And I realize I don't need to be ashamed of this anymore. I need to be able to do what I can, do my absolute best to be able to walk in truth. And folks, you can do that as well. Rightly handling, rightly teaching, rightly interpreting the word of truth is so very important for us. So so what we're going to be doing uh, tonight, we're looking at an explanation, but next week we're going to be starting this course straight up. So if, if any of you in here that say, man, this is fire me up and I feel like I need that, we're going to start as what is the Bible next week? Because you have 66 books in there, and you may not know how they actually got put together and how that works. And folks, it's very important. Uh, in September, we're going to be looking at what is hermeneutics and meaning of Scripture and context and literary genres. And then in October, we start talking about different genres. Genres are just different ways of writing stuff, right? It's like, what are narratives like? What are the books like Deuteronomy? How do you interpret that? Or wisdom literature like the Psalms? How do you interpret prophecy when those prophets would stand up and say certain things were going to happen? On October 31st, we're going to have a family gathering. There will kind of be a break and hear from that. In November, we'll talk about interpreting the Gospels and the Epistles. Those are all the letters in the New Testament and apocalyptic literature that gives you nightmares, right? And then we're going to have one of our, our family gatherings as well at the end of November called Waypoint. We'll have a week off. And then in December, we're going to end up with just a few extra things about why do we have so many Bible translations? Anybody ever frustrated or confused about that, right? We're going to talk about where that comes from and how you can make sure you get the best translation that you got, okay? Um, we're going to talk about what are some dangerous trends in biblical interpretation and how I should study my Bible from here. That's where we're going for the next few months, okay? And I'm inviting some people who say, I want to get involved. Let me tell you really quick right now. Uh, some of you are so committed, you're like, I got on the calendar, I'm going to be here, okay? If you miss one week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, you might say, is it any point in me coming back? The answer is yes. Each week you see is unique in what we're talking about, right? Now, I'd encourage you to be here every single time that we're here because I'm telling you, by the end of our time, you're going to say, I, I don't have to be afraid of this book anymore. I mean, I know everything, but I'm going to be more equipped to do this. But even if you can't come every time, come as often as you can. I really want to encourage you to do that as we go here. And I want to I want to get a little bit of practice. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1 as we conclude tonight. I want to show you just a little bit of where this is, okay? When I say practice, I never would have, uh, I never would have gotten that. Um, one of the things that one time uh, I was, we went through uh, the book of Mark here at the church for a year. I preached through Mark for a year back in like 2018 and 19. And, um, and so we went verse by verse, all through 16 chapters. It took us 53 Sundays to get there. And um, I remember after the sermon on Mark chapter 1, somebody came up to me and said, I never would have gotten that. I said, what do you mean? They're like, 
the stuff that you put, like I never would have gotten that just reading it. You know what my answer was? I never would have gotten that either if I read it really quick. <laughs> okay? But slowing down and meditating and thinking through, like, what does this mean? Meditating is not a weird word. It's a biblical word that says you're really like chewing on it, thinking about it, right? And I said, I would never have gotten that if I just rushed through it. But you slow down and you start expecting. Now, let me just read this passage because I want to show you. This is the process of what we're going after. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, Jesus' ministry just starting. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Stop right there. All right. If you grew up in church, you heard about lepers. Somebody give me something you know about a leper. Skin deteriorates, right? What else? Highly contagious. Uh, outside, okay, they had to live outside the city. Remember that? So, so you could not live in community, right? Because you're going to get everybody else sick. So you got to live on the outskirts. You can't come to worship. You can't come into the city. You can't have a hug from your family. Folks, is that a rough place? You're like, quarantine? Yeah, I know. Okay, like, like, okay, this is rough, rough, rough. But this is on a whole different level than what we know. So here's a leper who's supposed to be on the outskirts of the city. And what is he doing again? A leper came to Jesus. It looks like he is initiating up close personal contact, right? And this man's desperate. And he knows what it's like to live on the outskirts of the city, going through there. Pouring him, kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, listen to the progression here. Slow down and listen. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Did you catch the progression? Do you see what happens there? If you just look at the verbs, what's what started, what was next, what happened next? Move with pity, and then it says after he moved his pit, moved with pity, he did what? He reached out and touched him. He touched him before he said what? Be clean. All right. Now look, if I had the ability to cleanse a leper and to make sure he was no longer contagious, you know what I'd do? I would take six feet distance back, right? Okay. I'd have my mask on, and I would say, be clean, leper. I'd stand back, and I'd watch. Come back in 10 days after quarantine. Show yourself to me. Use a little bit of Germex, and then i give you a hug if you look okay, right? And we'll both be wearing masks. What does Jesus do? First time that man probably felt human touch in years. Before he cleansed him, he touched him. Now, what does that mean, folks, about Jesus? Now he is what? He's unclean. From a religious stereotype, he's now touched the leper, so he's unclean. And Jesus said, and? Let me hold it. Grab your hand, brother. You haven't felt that in a long time, have you? I am willing. Now be cleansed. Now, immediately the leprosy left him. He was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses, what? Commanded for a proof to them. Okay, folks, y'all ready for something really good here? Why didn't Jesus say, do what Moses commanded and then be clean? Because, folks, we can never do enough works to get God's redemption. We have to believe and then we obey, right? We believe, then we behave. So the beauty of this story is right here. He says, he's the only one that can heal me, and Jesus heals him. He goes, now that you're healed, follow the commandments. Folks, we get this messed up all the time. That's why some of you did not want to go to church for so long, because some annoying family member always said, you need to clean yourself up and get to church. I can't clean myself up. 
I'm too messed up. You know what I need? I need Jesus to reach himself out, cleanse me, and then say, now you can follow, right? Now you can obey the commands, but not until that point. And then it says, verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news. Y'all ready? So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So let me ask you, Sounds like Jesus is in a place reserved for... Anybody want to take a guess? On the outskirts of town? Where only lepers are supposed to be. You see what happens here? Jesus took the place of the leper. Jesus reached in. Symbolically, the leprosy is transferred to him. And because of the great crowd, Jesus is actually physically taking his spot. The man who's cleansed is now in the middle of the community. And Jesus is on the outskirts. Folks, that's what the cross is for us, right? He comes and embraces our filth, embraces our mess, redeems us. And because of that, he's cast out. He is crucified. He is put on the outskirts of the community. And we get to come back in free. This passage. So I was, you said, like, wow, that's incredible. Every single passage of Scripture is written. He's got, why didn't Mark just say, oh, and by the way, Jesus cleansed him in the way before this. And so therefore, now he is cleansed and free. And because of that, he took the leper spot. Because that's not fun. God's wanting you to, to go in this and do a little bit of work and see this. And all of a sudden you go, oh, whoa, that's what he's doing. Slow down and to hear his word over you. Folks, this is the process I'm inviting you into. To see how Jesus takes our place to slow down, to meditate, to know God's word. So I'm praying if you want to join in uh, and just come alongside for this ride, it's going to be a fun one. And I promise you I'm going to get you as equipped as you possibly can. If you're interested in getting more and actually thinking about credit, maybe not this semester, but next, we would love to talk with you as well. I want to pray for us now because, Lord, we just love you. We thank you for the way that you've come in and you have rescued and redeemed us and you took our spot and you went on the outskirt of the city and we were brought into the community of faith and that you did not see our sin and our frustration and stood off from it, but actually you embraced us in our mess, in our filth, willing to take our place on the outskirts of the community all the way to the cross so that we can be redeemed and forgiven. And so then that we have the opportunity now to obey the commandments that say for us to understand the truths of God's word. And it's an opportunity for us to, to remove from all the distractions, to know your word. But Lord, we need to be equipped to do that. So I pray for men, the women, the children that are here tonight, Lord, I pray that we would dig in and to know your word in a better way so that we could do our best to accurately handle the word of truth. In the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.